Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. We are continuing our series through the book of Ephesians in, in bite-sized groupings. And so we are on a series now called To Know and Be Known. It's Ephesians 1, 15 through the end of the chapter, verse 23. And uh, we're going to be in our third week. And so if you have not been with us, we have those available for you on our website as a podcast. Uh, If you have been with us, you know that we are looking about not just how to know God intellectually, but about how to know Him relationally and how to be known by Him. And we know that one of the most important things about knowing someone and being known by them is to know them the way that they want to be known, to know them the way that they make themselves known to you. Uh, We talked last week a little bit about making sure that you find out the ways in which God wants to be known, and you try to love Him and know Him in those ways. And His Word is probably one of the best insights we have for understanding how to know God in the way that is good for us, in the way that He has instructed us to know Him. And today will be no different. We're going to continue in this prayer that Paul has started stating uh, in Ephesians 1, 15 and on. Before we get there, though, let me talk about this, that to know God and to know Him and love Him the way that He wants to be known, and for you to be known by Him, a huge part of that is having everything in right perspective. It means you seeing things the way that you're meant to have been seeing them. You're looking at things through the eyes that you have as God enlightens your eyes to see, as he illumines your understanding, and as he gives you, as the scriptures here talk about, eyes of your heart to be enlightened, to see and know him, to worship him, to have understanding and to have hope that comes by the Holy Spirit. So this, as I'm talking to you about being known by God, knowing Him, uh, being, having things right in perspective, this comes after knowing Him in the first place. You have to meet God and know Him personally. So today, I'm talking to you as believers or followers of Jesus. If there's one of us in here that is not a follower of Christ, you can listen to this, you can hear this, but until you put your hope and faith in Jesus, you will not be able to walk in these ways. This is something that's only there for those who have come to know Christ already and who are with him. So therefore, if you don't know him, it's all right. You're in a good place. Today is the day of salvation for you if you put your hope and faith in Jesus. And so you'll be hearing some things today. I pray you'll listen as God can apply those to you as you find your hope in him. Let me pray for us as we get going. Then we'll read chapter 1, verse 15 and on. Father, I am unable to do anything here that is of value or that is good when compared to what you can do. So, Lord, I pray that today that you would move mountains within our hearts, that you would change us and shape us into the image of your son, Jesus, that you would remove the junk and that you would fill us with desire for you. Take desires away from us that draw us away from you and put us into a place in our relationship with you where you are foremost and where you are exalted and where we enjoy you to the fullest. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me, verse 15 of Ephesians 1. For this reason, so now Paul, by the way, is talking in the first 14 verses, he is adoring God. And he is talking about why we should adore him. In fact, in verse 3, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, let's adore him, let's praise him, let's make much of him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to just dissect that statement and take it out one piece at a time so that we might revel in the goodness of God toward us in Jesus. And then in verse 15, he kind of takes a breath, and he knows that he's been overwhelming to us, and he then begins to speak in such a way to tell the church at Ephesus and those who would come after, who would read this letter, that he is praying for them, for us, in these following ways. Listen up, verse 15. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. In other words, he is, for this reason, because he's heard that they're Christians, he's heard that they have a love for Jesus and that they have a love toward all the saints. They have faith in the Lord Jesus and a love for all the saints. Those are two of the greatest markers of one who is a believer. In other words, if you are one who really is a follower of Christ, who has been changed by the gospel going forth, piercing your heart, the Holy Spirit turning you alive as you repent and believe on Jesus, then you will begin to exemplify these traits. You have faith in the Lord Jesus that will grow, and your love toward all the saints, which will grow. And so if you struggle with loving the church, or if you struggle with actually believing in the Lord. It's okay to struggle, but it's not okay to stay there. That if you are His, He will work those things in you. He says, for this reason, because of those things, He says, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So He says, utmost what I'm asking for for you is that God our Father would give you a spirit, a spirit of wisdom, give you the Holy Spirit who would give you wisdom and enlighten your understanding, a revelation in the knowledge of Him. And that word knowledge is not just meant, as we've talked about, is not just meant to be knowledge intellectually, but knowledge relationally. Okay, so that he's saying, I'm praying that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the, listen to this, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that within you, where your desires emanate from, where your hopes reside, where your affections for things in life, where all those things you desire, your hopes, your emotions, your, 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 your reasons for doing what you do, where all that resides from, that God would give you those eyes of that heart that they would be enlightened understand, to see, to have wisdom, revelation, the knowledge of him. And he goes on and he says that the three ways in which he wants that to happen. The first one, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's what we talked about last week, that you would know what is the hope to which God has called you. He's talking to the church, to those people that have been called, effectually called by God. He says those that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. Secondly, what we're going to focus on today, he says, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And thirdly, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So he talks about three things. One, that we would know the hope to which we were called. Two, that we would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Actually, that word, 
those words there would be, what are the riches or what is the wealth of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And today we're going to focus on that one bit. What are, verse 18 at the end, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So for some reason, Paul wants you and I, he wants the Ephesians to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What are God's riches in his glorious inheritance or in the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So for us to unpack this, we have to know several things. One, what is he talking about when he says riches? Two, what is he talking about when he says the glory of his inheritance or the glorious inheritance? And we have to understand then, why does he want that for us? So why does he want us to understand that? I think we can answer that one first. You see, when our lives are out of whack, when our lives are not the way they're meant to be, almost always it's really a problem of perspective. It's almost always a problem of perspective at the very outset. When things aren't going the way that they should, when we are struggling, when we are not having a great day like yesterday, I just was not a nice guy. You ever have one of those days? Maybe you're nice, not a nice lady. I have some of those days. I know I'm the pastor. I'm not supposed to have those days. I'm a real person, and I struggle, and I'm just not always in that mind frame, and I'm in that mindset. And I started off my day. I just wasn't in the right place. Uh, I just I tried, and I kept getting a little bit angry, a little bit quick, and I, I kept being irritable about little things that shouldn't be irritable. My problem was not a problem with those people outside of me or the circumstances around me. My problem was a problem of perspective. The problem of understanding things and putting them in right perspective. And so God is leading Paul here to pray that he would pray this over the Ephesians and then over us. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The hope to which he's called you has already been laid out for you in Jesus. The hope is in Christ that he has saved us in Christ. And our riches of the glorious inheritance is what's to come, right? So he's saying, look back to what God's already done for you in Jesus and find hope in that. And now look forward to the glorious inheritance in the saints that's his, that he's giving to you. And you can look at it from two perspectives. It can be your glorious inheritance, or it can be God's inheritance, okay? his inheritance, his glorious inheritance in the saints. So it could be that we're talking about the fact that he gets us, or it could be that we're talking about the idea that we get all of the inheritance that comes from him. Now, you know what an inheritance is, right? Some of you have never received one, but you always wanted one, right? Some of you are trying to leave one for other people. The difference for an inheritance in that context is that the person that's giving it gives it when they die, and the people receive it get it when that person has died. But in this context, God never dies. He has always been, and he will always be. So we don't get the inheritance when he croaks, because he doesn't do that. We get the inheritance... When we get to be with him, it's about location. It's locative. It's location-based. Being with him, the inheritance. We also, though, if we're in Christ, get to have some of that now. Listen, here's how we can understand it. Colossians 1.27 will shed some light on it. In fact, anytime you struggle with understanding something in Scripture, look in other places in Scripture that talk about the same thing, and that oftentimes will be a way God will help to make things a little more clear. Let's look at Colossians 1.27. 
To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, listen, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hear what he's saying? The riches of the glory of this mystery, this mystery is Christ in you. So if you are in Christ, if you have put your hope and faith in him, if you repented and believed on Jesus, Christ is in you. That sounds crazy. It's like a mystery, but it's true. And, he, and he's telling him that you now know where the riches of the glory of that truth. He calls it, after that, the hope of glory. We talked about last week. Or in Ephesians chapter 1, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That means that every spiritual blessing that we are looking for, when we pray these words, God, give me the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. We're talking about our inheritance in God. We're talking about getting Jesus, because he is the summation of all the blessings. That's what we've been looking at and talking about. So another way to state this would be like him commanding you and you asking for God to do this for you, to set your heart on things above, for when we die, we get Jesus. You understand? When everything looks bad, when everything is hard, listen, put it in right perspective. When it's all said and done, we get Jesus. Set your heart on those things above. And if that's not enough, and listen, I understand, just then it may not have been enough for us. If that's not more than enough, then something is off in us. Nothing's off with that statement. Something's off in us, in our perspective, in our hearts. We need the eyes of our hearts enlightened. You may be thinking, wow, you're really excited about this stuff. You've been studying it all week, and now I'm just stepping here and getting it, and you're telling me it's not enough, so I've got to change my perspective. Yes, that's what I'm telling you, because I've been trying to work into my own life to change my perspective. You know what the problem is? I really have a hard time changing my perspective. No matter how much I will it to be, it doesn't happen very often very well. But that's why Paul says he's praying for them. He says that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He doesn't tell them to muster it up. He says, I'm praying this for you, that God would show you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So this is something God has to reveal to you. That's why before that he says, I'm praying for you that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, that you'd experience God in such a way that it would change your perspective and you would be able to now see what are the glorious riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. So that you would get it, not because you've worked hard, but because God would give it to you. We have not probably, brothers and sisters, because we ask not. We have not because we think we can do it. When the truth is, we need God to work in us to change us from the inside out. And oh, does he long and yearn to do that, and will he do that if we are his? So set your hearts on the things above, for in the end, we get to be with Jesus. So what are these riches of his, in glory, his glorious inheritance in the saints? I'm going to break some of these down for us. Are you ready? The rest of you? Yes? Here we go. I'm going to give it to you. There's things you already know, but we're going to break them down. And don't get caught up on the ones that sound like you've already got this. Here's one of them, right? One of these glorious riches of the glorious inheritance. Here we go. He loves us. He loves us. Let it sink in for a minute. He loves you. That is one of the 
riches of the glorious inheritance is that he loves you. Listen, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Don't let it run over you. Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the son worth more than all of creation, the son that is greater than any other person, the son when his value set next to ours is, it is insanely beyond anything we can measure. He is the only son of God, fully righteous, fully good, always doing what's right, never done anything wrong. That In him, through him, and for him are all things created. That son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We deserve to perish for we have rebelled against the king. Yet he loved us so much he sent us that son. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you have failed to do, God loves you because he has set his love upon you. Let me clarify that with a quote from Spurgeon. He says, or said, he's kind of gone on to be the Lord already. He says, you know how precious a thing becomes when you love it? It might have little intrinsic value, but if you have long set your heart upon it, how dear it becomes to you. Let me give you an example of when your treasure might be someone else's trash. We say it the other way around a lot of times, right? Oftentimes I will be in a hurry because somebody's coming over helping to clean up some part of the house. You ever been there before? We have five little kids. We have a lot to clean up. And I will run across some papers that have crayon markings on them. That's the way I'll describe them, crayon markings on them. And I will take those crayon marked papers that are on the floor that are crumpled up, and I will say, hey, we have a lot of these. This is on the floor. It must be trash. And I'll pick it up and try to throw it in the trash. And about that time, the author and creator of that paper with, with crayon markings sees it from across the house. They've not paid attention to anything else I'm doing all day. And that's what they see. And they go into the no moment, right? They come running in crying, don't do that. That's my artwork. I love this. This is my favorite piece of artwork. I'm like, why was it on the ground? I don't know why it was on the ground, but it's my favorite piece of artwork, right? That thing now went from no intrinsic value to great value because of the love placed upon that one thing, right? Just a piece of paper, one of 500 in a ream, okay? Doesn't cost that much to replace it, the crayons, all that stuff, but intrinsically has no value. But because much love is placed upon that paper with crayon markings on them made by that author and creator, that thing now is worth more than anything else in the whole house. You understand? That's how we are to the Lord. Because he sets his love upon us, we who are failures, we who have struggles, we who are unable to be right with him, we who mess up over and over and over again, we who rebel against the king continually, we who make mistakes on purpose sometimes, who go against what is right and good and holy, should be condemned by the right and good holy one. Instead, he places his love upon us. And so therefore, we have great value because his love is great and valuable. And he has demonstrated that love for us by showing us how valuable it is by giving us Jesus, his one and only son, 
to die in our place. What great love he has for you, brothers and sisters. Great love. The glorious inheritance. The riches of that glorious inheritance begin with his love. So set your heart on things above. For in the end, we get to be with Jesus. Secondly, we know that it is rich in its value because he spared no expense in creating this beautiful world in which to place us to enjoy his glory. Now, some of you are like, yes, I love creation. It shows me the glory of God and sends me into worship. And some of you are like me. That's my wife. Some of you are like me, where I see the sunset again, and I'm like, yeah, it's pretty. There's a few of us in here, right? I, I like it. It is beautiful, and when I stop to see it, it does create a little awe in me, but at the same time, I don't just catch it. But let's think for a moment and understand something. The majesty of the mountains that rise up from the earth don't seem that majestic until you're standing on top of it looking over. If you want to try that out, just go to Nakalula Falls. It's only 90 feet up and try to look over that and don't get a little bit kind of like, whoa, it's a little close to the edge, Right? You begin to see things like the Grand Canyon if you go there, or you begin to see the mountains when you go over to some of the tallest mountains in the world, or you begin to to see the vast beauty of the huge oceans that we see, and then recognize that that's not even as large or as grand as a small fingerprint of God on that, because He is so great and so mighty. And yet, He created all these things, the awe-inspiring decadence of the galaxies that He spun out into the universe that we look upon at night that light our way that we find awe in, the things that we find breathtaking in the details in which he created us, male and female, so that we might experience life and love and joy and relationships to understand the true love with which he has fashioned us, right? You may have forgotten, brothers and sisters, how much God loves you by looking at your spouse, but think for a moment how it would be without them, and some of you know. Think for a moment how it would be without the others that you love in your life have been close to you, friends, brothers, sisters, parents, and how much you've learned from them and how much you see greatness of God in them because of how he's loved you to give them to you. And God shows us so much. And you know what? He created all those things not because he needed them. He didn't create the mountains and the oceans and the stars and the galaxies and this planet and all the stuff in it because he needed that to feel whole. He did that because he loves you so much that he wanted to create a perfect place for you to see and enjoy his glory reflected in all of creation and that you might know him better and worship him more rightly and enjoy him longer because of what you see. Man, what love he has for us. So set our hearts on the things that are above. Reorient yourself. For in the end, we get to be with Jesus. So let us set our hearts there. The problems of this world become so small when in comparison to that. They're not that they go away, but things in perspective, it changes everything else for us. In fact, that third thing, he not only spared no expense in his creation, he spared no expense in purchasing us out of our sin, for he paid for our souls with the life of his son, Jesus. going to read some scripture, let it wash over you, Ephesians 1, 7 and on. In 
him in Jesus. We have redemption through his blood. We've been purchased out of our sin through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, or Hebrews 9, 11 on. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, unlike the temple, he's saying, he entered once for all into the holy places, talking about the very central places where where the blood had to be splattered on the seats to show that sacrifice had been paid for our sins. But he entered into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. That he gave everything, even to the point of his blood, so that we might be with him forever. He spared no expense, brothers and sisters, for you to be his. The one who's worth more than all of creation combined gave all of himself so that you might be brought into the family. He goes on in Hebrews 9.15, Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. In other words, you and I were instructed to obey the law and we still are under that. We have to obey the law, but we fail all the time. The Ten Commandments, all the extra laws, we fail. How many of you are even wearing rayon and cotton together? Fail, according to the Old Testament. You see what I'm saying? Like your ceremonial laws, how many of you cleansed up before you walked in here to worship? Like done, right? According to the law, we've all failed. How many of you, Jesus said, if you've committed a a lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. You've broken the commandment of adultery. If you have hated someone in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart already. We have all failed miserably. So under that earlier covenant, the transgressions we've committed means that we are under wrath and condemnation. That's what we deserve. Instead, Jesus came and is the new mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems us, his death on the cross. You see, the suffering which he gladly endured in order to secure us for his glorious inheritance. We know that we have known evil. We have worked evil. We have done bad things. Our hearts are darkened with sin that continually attempts to separate us from our creator. We continually avert our eyes away from the king. We continually redo our perspectives until we are not focused where we should be. To separate us from our creator, but no, he's the king He's the creator. He's the sovereign. He will not allow us to escape his love if we are his. He will not allow us. He loves us too much to do that. And he gave us everything when he gave us Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the perspective. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Where is he seated? 
right hand, at the right hand of the throne of God. Put that in perspective with Psalm 1611. Changed everything when I heard this. Some of you have heard me say this before. Psalm 1611. The psalmist is worshiping the creator. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. You hear where it is? It's in his presence, right? And he says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you understand what he's saying there? Go back in Hebrews 12 too. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our problem is not that Jesus isn't worth it. Our problem is not that he is not enough pleasure for us. Our problem is that our perspective is askew. So set your eyes, brothers and sisters, on the things above, on the one who is seated at the right hand where pleasures are forevermore, where in his presence is fullness of joy. For the joy that was set before him was the cross so that he could have us. But our fullness of joy is in his presence. In his presence, reorient, brothers and sisters. Set your eyes on the things that are above. Colossians 3, 1 and on. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is he your life? And you will say, I want it, but he's not always. And that's okay because you know why? Because you were his life. He exchanged himself on the cross for you. So that through his life, then death, then burial for you on your behalf, you can have his life. So therefore, you, it's not up to you being perfect except to the fact that he was perfect. It's not up for you to earn his favor because Jesus earned all of God's favor on the cross for you. Now put your hope in him. Set your mind on the things that are above. Set your eyes. The eyes of your heart need to be enlightened. Do you see how great a love this is for us, brothers, sisters? Do you see what God has done for us, that we are the unlovable and yet we're loved? Yet that we are loved by the very God who should hate us for rebelling? This is love. In fact, John tells us in 1 John 4, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Listen, in this is love, he says. This is the definition of love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means simply this. He sent his son to appease the wrath, to satisfy the wrath, to drink down the wrath that we deserve, and then to make us right with God as our own sacrifice. Appeasing the wrath of God and making our way back to God, abled and ready by Him bringing us back reconciled with the Father. That's love, that He loved us like that, not that we loved Him. This is our great inheritance in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our sacrifice, our brother, our King, Jesus, he is the glorious inheritance in the saints. He is the depths of the riches are found in him, in him alone. And that is where we need to have our eyes 
reoriented. Or Lord, please, would you enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know what is the hope to which you called us and what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, namely in Jesus. So set your hearts on things above. For in the end, we get to be with Jesus. Real briefly, here's a couple of others. You want to understand the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? See the work that he has put into you to make you into the best you can possibly be. Starts off, first of all, with assurance of salvation. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. So if you are his, you'll have him doing these things, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He will help you to see the hope you have in Jesus, and he'll help you to then see where all that glorious inheritance is found in Christ, because you'll be able to see it because he's bearing witness with you that you were his, that you were heirs. You see? That's what draws your heart. You're like, well, I failed, but you're mine. I made a mistake, but I paid for that on the cross. You are mine. Turn back to me now. See the joy that is at my right hand in Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 3 and on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, praise him. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Your assurance of salvation, your assurance of faith, is not because you keep working hard, it's because you are kept by God. He owns you. He's purchased you on the cross. Your sanctification, not just your assurance, your sanctification, the fact that he continues to work in you, the glorification that he will finish the work he has begun. He will shape you into the image of Christ. It says in Ephesians 3 later on, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That means to know the love of Christ that is real and relational, that changes you, that is experiential, not just knowledgeable. Only God can give that. Lord, enlighten the eyes of our heart. Give me the spirit of understanding and revelation of wisdom in the knowledge of you. That's why he can say in 1 Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, for his inheritance that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you understand what he just said? Listen again. You are a chosen race. We're like, yes, chosen by God. You are a royal priesthood. Yes, we've been given the, the means by which we can now bring the reconciliation to others, right? We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Yes, Lord, a people for his own possession. Yes, own me. Take me, Lord, I'm yours. And he says, so that... Here's your reason. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The purpose is so that you might make much of him. Speak of his excellencies, namely and ultimately in the excellencies he has shown in Jesus. He says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So make much of him. 
we could go on in Romans 8, 18, 1 John 3, 2, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. I'll give one of them. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know this, that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. That means we'll be turned into the great image of Christ. All the sin removed. That's what they call glorification. You go to glory, glorification happens. It removes the sin and you're present with God unhindered by all the junk. Fully enjoying him. No more lost perspectives. No more hurts. No more struggles. No more pains. All that taken away. So set your hearts on things above for in the end we get to be with Jesus. Lastly, to understand the riches of his glorious inheritance, you need to understand the work he is putting into preparing a place for us. You know, he, he, he says to us in John 14, 1 through 7, he tells his disciples and he's saying to us, let not your hearts be troubled. Are you troubled this morning? Are you hearing things from family members that break your heart? Are, are you... Be receiving information about people you love and care about that is creating great tumult in your heart? Are, are you enduring things to your person or to your, your family or to your, in your career that are causing you great strife? Are you enduring things right now that are troubling your hearts, that are breaking your hearts about how someone's treating you or treating someone else or not responding to God or not, whatever it is? Or is your heart troubled? He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, he says. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And in the story here, my namesake, Thomas, he jacks it up. He says, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? If I was Jesus, I'd be like, come on. <laughs> like, two years in, you don't get it yet, right? But Jesus doesn't do that, just like he doesn't respond to us that way. In his love and grace, he looks at him and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Look, the way in which we know that he loves us and he's preparing that place for us is the fact that he is the way to that place. And he's already done all the hard work, the heavy lifting he's done. He died on the cross in your place. He lived the life you could not live, died the death you deserve, and now has risen in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell so that we can be brought into the family of God. And now he's going to make that place ready for us, and he's coming back to get us. How do we know he will? Because he always fulfills his promises. Nothing's ever stopped him before. Not even death could hold him. So how in the world can anything else stop him? So he is the king. Everything else will leave you hanging. Everything else will leave you hurting, will leave you without. But if you put your hope on Jesus, set your eyes on the things above, set your heart on the things above, he will not leave you without. You will not be alone. You will not be ever left in need. He has all you need. You may not have it in this moment, but you'll have it eventually in him. You need right perspective. You need the eyes of your heart enlightened. He even says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He loves us, brothers and sisters. 
that is the riches of his glorious inheritance. To be unhindered, fully receiving all that love, to enjoy him with the pleasures forevermore that are found in Jesus, in which he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And he's already blessed us. We just are not seeing it rightly. Let us set our hearts on the riches of his glorious inheritance, namely Jesus. Ephesians 3.8, he says, To me, this is Paul, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, what grace? To preach to the Gentiles, listen, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we have not because we ask not. We do not see because we take our eyes off the king. Lord, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Give us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation of the knowledge of him. Set your hearts on things above, for in the end, we get to be with Jesus. So let us set our hearts, brothers and sisters, on the one who loved us so much that he gave his life to ensure that he would spend the rest of eternity in our presence. We oftentimes talk about being in his presence. He made sure that he could be in our presence. What love, what joy, what a savior. What a king, what a brother, what a sacrifice on our behalf. So set your hearts on things above. For in the end, we get Jesus, and he's enough. Lord, I come to you on behalf of this body of believers, and I ask for you to help us. Lord, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and a revelation and the knowledge of you, that we may know you and worship you and enjoy you. Would you give us the hope? We may know what the hope is to which you called us and what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. Help us, Lord, by giving us eyes to see the value and the unsearchable richness that's found in Jesus, your son. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.